0: Hello and welcome to Embodying Change, a podcast about cultivating care and compassion in aid and development. I'm Erin Clements and this podcast is part of an initiative I'm working on with Melissa Pitotti which is being hosted by the CHS Alliance. Our work looks at the intersections between mental health, people management and organisational culture in aid and development organisations and to do that we've been using the lens of care and compassion to generate conversations about how we can improve our practice. In the first few episodes of the podcast, you're going to hear Melissa and I interview a number of different people about responding with care and compassion to the current COVID-19 pandemic, which is now affecting, in some ways, at least most of the world. In this episode, Melissa talks with Kristen Duncan, a therapist, couples counsellor, coach and author, in the first part of two episodes, which we've called Coping with COVID.
1: I'm very pleased today to have with us Kristen Duncombe. She is a therapist and couples counselor, life coach and author. She's based her career on working with international and expatriate individuals and families following her own experience of growing up across Africa and Asia as a child of a diplomat. And she's also lived internationally most of her adult life. So, Kristen, welcome to our podcast. It's so nice to have you. Thank you for having me. Um, We personally haven't seen each other for a while, and now we're living in strange times with coronavirus. I guess for those uh, who are listening, we're probably recording on March 23rd, if I'm correct. (laughs) Yes,
2: today is March 23rd. Okay, because
1: the situation keeps changing. But I wanted to start out by just asking, how are you doing? How are you holding up?
2: Um, so let's see, I'm going to answer that question very honestly, because one of the things that I have found remarkable as a therapist is when the truth comes out that the people that I work with think that because I'm their wonderful therapist, that I'm not human and full (laughs) of all sorts of my own little issues anyway. So how am I holding up? is I would say that I was holding up very, very well until I wasn't and had my own little freak out, which probably came on day eight or nine after having to put all sessions online, um, get my children safe and sound back in the house. I had to get my daughter back from uni in uh, London. My son is of course always with me. Um, but also having to work with both kids on this concept of social distancing means that you are not going to hang out at the skate park and you're not going to hang out at your friends' houses and we're going to hunker down together um, because we have to take this extremely seriously. And the point of all of it being... That everyone is very stressed out. My clients are stressed out, my kids are stressed out. And I think that for someone like myself in a helping profession that does not require, you know, being in the emergency room at the hospital, there's actually a lot of uh, strength that comes from getting to be in a leadership position and be in a support position. So I would find, I would say that that the first week of all of this, I felt actually very calm because I was busy, you know, as they say, helping everyone else get their oxygen mask on. But then when the weekend rolled around, it was like, as I was saying, maybe day eight, there was just a few too many Things that happened at home that had to do with resistance against social distancing, et cetera, and then I, like so many, had my little breakdown in which there was some shouting, <laughs> some frustration, some uh, yeah, let's just say Mommy was not on her best behavior. <laughs> for about an hour on Saturday when she had to get upset with her kids for not wanting to respect social distancing. But I've since regrouped. And truthfully, I'm telling the story like that as I started out with people often think that if if you're a therapist and you work with people on their own behavioral stuff or their own emotional stuff, that that must mean that you've got it all together perfectly. And no, I don't. I mean... I know a lot of things and I do have, you know, X number of years of experience working with other people, but like anyone, I can also, to use a very clinical term, freak out sometimes.
1: (laughs) It's so true. Um, It's so true. I've been been going back uh, to a lot of the people that we interviewed for Working Well Report, Mm -hmm. uh, people whose profession Mm -hmm. is uh, looking at how to cope with stress and just seeing Mm -hmm. how profoundly the situation has impacted each person, even if managing stress is their bread and butter. Uh, Especially when, like like you say, if you have children, some of them I've talked to have elderly parents at home. Uh, When it comes so close to home in terms of impacting the people you love most, uh, it can take its toll. And I've heard today, I heard uh, earlier someone telling me she was shouting at her children. I heard... (laughs)
0: It's going I around. I heard
1: uh, a <laughs> couple of people saying they could hear their neighbors shouting at their children. Um, and I know one of the things you do is uh, work with families, uh, work with, with couples. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, uh, given the tension and stress in the family dynamic and the resistance that some people in the family might have to taking these measures more seriously, do you mm-hmm. have Any thoughts to share with people who might be similarly finding themselves quite frustrated at having challenges communicating with their beloveds?
2: Yes, I actually do have some thoughts about that. But I feel like I want to give the caveat that these thoughts come in no particular order of importance. And maybe, you know, what might be relevant in one scenario is not going to be relevant in another but I have been thinking about this question because since the whole, this whole terrible ordeal started, I feel like I have had, I've, I, my my professional life has pretty much carried on. I've had some cancellations because not everyone is comfortable using you know, technology to do sessions, but for the most part, my life has carried on as usual. So I've been having a lot of different sessions and I find it really interesting to hear um some some common themes that come up for everyone, regardless of, you know, age, gender, where you work, et cetera, et cetera. It seems that people are having common reactions. All of this is gonna lead to what I think you're supposed to do when you feel like you're about to start screaming at your husband. (laughs) or other (laughs) untoward behaviors. Um, So first of all, what I was gonna say is, is that everyone seems to be scared. And that is, of course, totally normal. But when you consider trying to have your quote unquote normal yet revised life when you're scared, I think we just need to acknowledge that, that there's a backdrop that everyone is dealing with. And that is fear and uncertainty. So there's that. But then there is also this thing happening. And I'm not going to say that 100% of people say it, but I would say a good 50% of the people that I've interacted with in a professional capacity are saying this. Because of course, you know, we get online. And of course, the first check-in is about how are you doing in the midst of this ordeal? But the second check-in is, what do you want to do about the objectives that you had been working on because of course the ordeal has overcome us the coronavirus has taken over but we all still have our lives that we were living and so interestingly what i find is i would say about 50% of the people that i work with at least have said you know it's the strangest thing but I'm suddenly not so depressed anymore about X, Y, or Z, or to take it back to the couples part, I'm suddenly not so upset about X, Y, or Z, because what's happening to us now globally, it feels so big. It actually makes me feel But in a way where where I feel that this is something good, I don't feel like I'm minimizing, but I feel like the shit that I was worried about or mad about, I just don't care so much about it any longer. So in a way, coronavirus has had this very interesting paradoxical impact of while anxiety has skyrocketed, in some ways, depression has lessened. Now, I wanna be careful here that I haven't done some scientific study. I'm speaking from my caseload and then also my personal life with different friends and family members. But I would be surprised if other people did not have similar experience. So that's one of the things. Then the third thing that I think people are saying is, I've got to figure out a routine because even though I'm really happy to be at home, at least for those people that are, you know, the other hidden benefit of coronavirus, being able to escape toxic work environments without losing their job by working at home. People are very concerned about routine. So it does go to show how us human animals, we are sort of, we seek structure. And then the fourth thing is, and I think this is really, I'll call it an occupational hazard of, you know, at least living in the Western world, these comfortable lives that we have suddenly under confinement, is people are getting completely overextended with the agendas that they've come up with for now that I have to stay home. I'm going to accomplish all the things I didn't do in the last 15 years or something. And so people are sort of developing their own uh, self-imposed burnout schedule. And and like it's, and I, and it, I see you laughing, and it is kind of funny, but I do think we have to acknowledge that because it's kind of like, okay, wait a minute, to all of us, and I'm including myself in this message like we are at home because there is a crisis happening you don't have to write a book (laughs) you don't have to make five course gourmet meals (laughs) you're allowed to just sit there and zone out in front of the television because sometimes that's what you need to do when there's a crisis happening. So all of that was a very long-winded way to get back to your question, which was like, what are you supposed to do? Or what was the question? What, how, what, what do you tell people when they want to start fighting or when they can't stand the pressure any longer of being stuck there at home with each other?
1: Well, it's so funny because you you mentioned this, uh, we talked a little earlier before we started recording about you. Can some, some people actually see teleworking as a golden opportunity for them because they were working previously in a toxic work environment or a dysfunctional work environment, or maybe they had a, a peer or a boss that they weren't getting along with. And so for some people, being at home has provided a totally different atmosphere for them to get their work done. And so I did want to put a pin in that because uh, with the Core Humanitarian Standard Alliance, our well-being initiative looks at mental health, but also organizational culture and people management. So um, I find it quite interesting that you're seeing that within some of your contacts, that they they actually see their home environment as an improvement. On the flip side, I've been hearing especially from mothers of children who are at a stage of education where they're supposed to be learning. Uh, I see a lot of mothers trying to organize curricula, teach each child, and it's become your other point, quite overwhelming.
2: Yeah, it's been a night.
1: They're not sitting down and watching Netflix. They're staying up late at night planning science experiments for their children. So so on, on the flip side, when you're around your family members and then you're expected to feed them three courses a day and you're supposed to be teaching them on top of your normal workload, I can imagine a lot of parents finding themselves quite irritated when they're on a conference call and their child comes and pats them on the arm. Um, So it's also Uh, uh, about how to deal with
2: edit that sentence to say the irritation I don't think comes for people when they're on the conference call and the kid comes and taps them on the arm. I think the irritation is when they're off the conference call and then are either literally obligated because of high maintenance demands from whatever institution their child goes to or self-imposed high maintenance demands, like that come from Facebook culture, where it's like, now I'm going to, you know, do the science experiment or something. And that's when the frustration and anger kicks in, because it's actually too much. There was a really good article, you know, I should have sent it to you. Um, because I think I read it since you and I talked about having this discussion, but it would be easy to find it's, it was an, it was an editorial opinion in the New York times from a couple of days ago. And it's the, the title is something like why I refuse to become a homeschooling genius or something. And it's basically, it's, it's written by a mom who says, basically what we're talking about right now this is the pandemic this is the global pandemic I have a full-time job I'm super grateful that I can keep my kids at home and be try to be safe together but I am not gonna now turn into the uber you know teacher because I can't it's too stressful she said my kids are gonna watch telly and eat cookies and we're gonna do the best we can and I think that's a good attitude to adapt, at least at the beginning of all of this, because we're in early days. And I'm not trying to make any, you know, uh, predictions about what exactly is going to happen. I don't know. Um, and maybe we will have some time to talk today about some of the negative prophesizing that is also happening, because that's something else I'm seeing a lot. In the people that i'm working with about the the extreme stress they're feeling about what's going to happen next um but i think it is safe to say that i think we're going to be sitting here like this (laughs) you know talking through screens etc for the foreseeable future and so You know, maybe at, just to speak hypothetically, at month three of something like this, it will be time to organize differently. But I think at the very beginning, when we're still just trying to figure out what it means to be at home together all the time, I think we've got to relax some of the demands that we feel to get it all perfectly. Going back to the very first point that I made when I was telling you what I feel like I'm seeing in the people that I work with is, there is fear and we have to acknowledge it and honor it. And and I think, treat the situation that we're living in all of us with some, um, we have to acknowledge it for the, the delicate, the delicate thing that it is, the delicate time that it is, because as you know, as a collection, as a collective of people, there's a lot of fear and anxiety going around, which is not based, on cognitive distortion. And now you and I have talked about, you know, what, what's cognitive distortion. So just to sort of put it back in the therapy framework, you know, when we, when we work in cognitive therapy, what we're looking at is how thinking errors will inform the way we view X, Y, and Z situation, which will then inform how we feel about it. And usually, you know, it's, it's things where, where the way we're thinking about something is really not realistic, nor is it accurate. And so it's really unfortunate that it leads us to feel either depressed or anxious because it really doesn't need to be that way. In this case, it's very realistic to be thinking like, I'm scared and this is unprecedented. That's not distorted thinking. That's realistic thinking. And that's why I think it's so important to, to not start loading all the other stuff on top of it. Because, you know, as a, as a world community, we haven't been through something like this before. And it's a lot. It's a lot for all of us.
1: I'm really glad you brought up cognitive distortion because uh, I found myself quite calm and Zen, I'm 37 weeks pregnant. I'm pretty I was pretty confident that my healthcare system where I live, it will be there when I need it. <laughs> um, and then when certain people start popping ideas in your head, like the world as we know it might not be here in a couple of weeks, our systems might be down. Um you know, thinking of these movie scenes. Is, is that realistic to jump to that level? Or should that should we be playing the worst case scenarios to prepare?
2: Uh, okay, that is a very good question. And it's a multi-part question. So let's try to kind of pick it apart. Because first of all, I think that the statement i I can't play it back exactly as you said it but something like that in a few weeks the world as we know it is not gonna be here (laughs) so i would reframe that and say well you know what actually that's already happened the world as we knew it is not here it's amazing in a very short time everything as we knew it changed Now, it didn't change 100%, and that's where maybe some of our distorted thinking comes into play, because for those of us where nothing particularly drastic or dramatic has happened, like we aren't sick, maybe we don't know anyone who's sick, our parents have not been sick, things like that. We're we're just, you know, shut up at home, and, and so we feel like, oh, outside where we're not supposed to be because we're supposed to be keeping away and social distancing. And then we, you know, see all the alarming media reports, you know, and and there are alarming reports and it's true, all the terrible images we see from Italy and Spain and et cetera, et cetera. Um, That stuff is real. And how does it make us feel? It makes us feel very terrified. But remember, and it would actually be interesting if you could link, um, I don't know if in the podcast if you can link to uh, documents because we should include a list of the cognitive distortions. One of the, the cognitive distortions that I think most people commit on a fairly regular basis is what we call emotional reasoning. That because I feel terrified, That means that something terrifying is happening. So let's look at that for a moment because if I'm going to sit there and go, oh yeah, so it's a cognitive distortion, that's going to sound like I'm completely contradicting what I just said about fear. So I think there's a midway point here because the truth is something really scary is, happening in the world and it's partially scary because we haven't been here before and as it turns out our systems are not very well prepared to handle the magnitude of what's happening that said and i think this is where another distortion kicks in the one called overgeneralization It's easy to start thinking that because all of that scary stuff is happening, the stuff that we see in the news and that we then perceive just by the actions that we've had to take by hunkering down, we start thinking that anything that happens outside the confines of my little locked up apartment, it's going to lead to doom and gloom. And that's not really realistic either. Because it is true that even though many people are sick and dying, there's also many people that are not sick and not dying. And I'm not saying that because I want to minimize the importance of the public health protocols. I'm, you know, that's why I was shouting and screaming on Saturday. I'm I'm right there with the public health experts. (laughs) And let me clarify, not the public health experts, quote unquote, like Donald Trump, who's, you know, coming up with all sorts of useless advice. But you know, the people that actually know what they're talking about, I, I, I like to listen to them and follow their lead. But I also am aware that I'm, usually, I'm using emotional reasoning like I think anyone is. When I start thinking like, oh my God, there was just another 700 deaths in Italy. I feel so terrified. I feel that everyone around me or everyone in our world is dying like this rapidly, quickly. And I want to be careful here because it's not to minimize at all how terrible that is, because it really is terrible. And I do think that this is a terrible situation that the world is in, but there is still some balance. So let's go back to your situation, which you just said, because I can understand why you'd feel anxious. I mean, anyways, when you're 37 weeks pregnant, that's a vulnerable time anyways. And of course you want to be You want to feel safe. You want to think that, well, when my baby decides to come, that I'm going to be in a safe environment. And so let me ask you if I can kind of turn the question on you a little bit. What what are the things... Aside from the obvious of the fact that this whole pandemic is playing out, are there things that you have that have been communicated from your doctor? I mean, in this context in which you find yourself 37 weeks pregnant here in Geneva, et cetera, Pandemic. The world round. What are the things in particular that come up for you that make you feel worried about what's going to happen when it's time for me to deliver my baby?
1: Well, I had my month checkup last week and I got a call in advance saying, don't bring anyone with you, Um, including my husband. He's been at every appointment. And I walked into this uh, facility and there is no one. In the waiting room except me and they'd spread out the chairs and they're all wearing masks and my doctor who i've been seeing for years he was visibly stressed and he was telling me that people living in the city are not taking it seriously enough um, and he said we'll have the birth as normal but you cannot have any visitors your son cannot be there um, and he, he was telling me basically it'll be fine because I was thinking I should leave before the borders close because we've got, um, I, the last question I want to ask you is about the expat life because we don't have family here. So I was thinking maybe I should go to Germany where I've got family support or, you know, my family was going to come from the U S but they can't now. Um, so I was telling him, well, maybe I should leave now while I can. And he said, you should not leave because it's going to happen in the same, it's going to, the same system, stress is happening all over the world. He said, you need to stay home and you need to stop mixing with other people. If you're mixing with other people. Um, and after that, um, I had a friend who's living in Hong Kong who had a baby she said her husband was not allowed to see the baby for three days. She was by herself. So I was like, actually, I'm cool with that. If the hospital's working, <laughs> my, I have a very low bar. I just want to be able to go to the hospital and they take care of the delivery. Uh, but if in three weeks from now, the situation is overwhelmed the hospitals, then what is my backup plan? So I've been like looking around my neighborhood for midwives. You know, I told my husband, go on YouTube, see how to deliver a baby.
2: <laughs> Hi. But you see, I think, I, I love how you laugh like that, but because it, it, it does seem like, oh my God, now we're training husbands to deliver babies with YouTube. It does sound so absurd, but you know, truthfully, I think it's great that you did that because you're, you're, you're developing your backup strategy, which is probably not going to be necessary in spite of the real drama playing out around us. But it's still good. I mean, I think that's a great idea. Let your husband get, some know-how let yourself get some know-how I mean we know that even in the best of times women sometimes do end up having to deliver their babies or their husbands have to or you know some random person in the on the two past to. I mean we know that these things happen I think that your idea of figuring out like is there like a reservoir of, of midwives that we can call I mean that's all smart and that's a great example of how how to say it, that the anxiety and fear that you might be feeling is healthy anxiety and fear. It's not neurotic and crazy and you came up with some dumb, you know, crazy thought just because you felt a little bit unreasonably nervous. No, there's a real ordeal playing out. And you have used your fear and anxiety to look for solutions. And that's very adaptive. Now, the reality is, is that especially because of where we live, and I know how the systems are being strapped. I'm not trying to be in denial about that. But one of the things that we do have to keep in mind is that other parts of life, are going on. We know that babies are still being born. So even though I know that lots of you know staff and doctors and medical personnel is being redirected to the coronavirus emergency effort, um, I believe that there are still medical pe- personnel ensuring you know the wards where life literally goes on. You know. Births. Um, I mean, has did you speak to your doctor about that? Did he did he have any words of reassurance for you that 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 they're planning on keeping the maternities open?
1: Yeah, he's. Uh, I mean, that's the plan for now. Uh-huh. But uh, this morning, I spoke to my someone in my family who is a retired OBGYN and she said she could do FaceTime with my husband if we need to.
2: <laughs> okay. Wow. <well. laughs> yes. Good to be prepared. No, I, think, I think I'm prepared. And hopefully <laughs> it will not come down to it because you remember from the list of cognitive distortions. Mm-hmm. So what, what are we doing right now as we develop that whole plan? Even though I am saying it's good to be prepared and have your strategies We don't want to go too far into Uh, fortune telling. Fortune telling, yeah, fortune telling. This is negative fortune telling to think that by the time your baby is ready to be born, that there will be no more (laughs) delivery personnel available. (laughs) I hope that is not the case. And I imagine that it will not be the case. Now, right. if your fear tells you that I want to prepare an alternative strategy, anyways, then mm-hmm. I think that that is appropriate.
1: I think, I think, uh, I think it will be all right. Yeah, I think my my husband said everything's going to be okay, and said, "Well, I mean, we'll get through it." <laughs>
2: But you know what, I think that that's a good attitude and that kind of goes back to what we were talking about before about like how when you feel like you're gonna kill someone because you've been holed up too long in the apartment with them. I think that the idea that we're gonna get through this, I think it's actually a really appropriate concept to hold on to at this time because I think that it would be unrealistic and therefore not very helpful if we started trying to offer each other um, very specific reassurances about what's what it's all going to look like because the thing is we don't no, But I do think that what we can pretty much feel secure in for most of us is we will get through this. And we are not able to know right now today exactly what that's going to look like. We don't know how long we're going to have to live in this particular way. We don't know how living in this particular way is going to shape and improve or disturb or maybe both some of our relationships and the way we manage each other. But if there is a, a preconceived belief in resilience and trying and accepting and even celebrating. And that might sound like a corny way to say it, but I am going to say it again celebrating healthy, normal fear, anxiety, and sadness. Because, you know, we as a collective, the world community, I think we're also pretty grief stricken as well because we're all letting go suddenly of life as we knew it. So there's like a real retroactive appreciation of how great life was before we, you know, started like waiting for the invisible boogeyman. <laughs> Which is how I've started thinking about it because we're also like we don't know and we see this thing but we feel like it's all around us. Apparently it is. And we we have to face that uncertainty. And I think that to be able to say we will get through this is, an, it's an accurate reassurance because it's not too specific, but but it is based in a belief on in survival. Like we are going to get through this, but let's relax some of our more rigid ideas about what it's supposed to be like. Um, because yeah, I mean, for all we know, maybe you will end up having your husband deliver your baby, but we also know that that could have happened outside of the pandemic times anyways.
1: Yeah. And I hope, yeah. Apparently. Yeah,
2: I, I mean, I hope that what I hope for you is, is that you get to deliver your baby in the way that makes you feel the absolute safest and most comfortable But what we also know is, is that if it turned out that you had to modify that plan Mm -hmm. and who knows, maybe the maternity would end up being, you know, in a tent, in a supermarket parking lot, you would get through it Mm -hmm. Um, because you have to, I was having a communication with someone Actually, you'll have to go full circle with this conversation. I was having a communication with someone who was beating herself up big time because of shouting at her, <laughs> at her children <laughs> and she had her own little moment, you know, breaking point and crying and breaking down and saying, I, I don't think that I can, I'm, I'm not going to be able to handle this. And I said to her, oh, yes, you can handle it. You are handling it. Forgive yourself. You freaked out. You got mad. You shouted. Yeah, it wasn't great. But you know what? Don't let anyone tell you that now your children are going to be trauma cases because you shouted at them. Go say sorry. Go make up. Move on. That's called getting through. You know, desperate times do call for quote unquote, extreme measures. And in this society that we live in, what is an extreme measure? I think an extreme measure for, you know, the likes of people like us in this high maintenance, high stress world is to forgive yourself. You weren't perfect. You don't have to be. You just don't have to be. Just try to do the best you can in a difficult time
1: such a freeing way to think about it it just relieves a lot of stress from the already stressful situation that's great that's beautiful i i, I wanted to talk to you for so many reasons uh the cognitive behavioral aspect yeah well it is a very- um but also you grew up as a, a diplomat's child moving around i grew up as a military child moving around you have exposure to the aid community mm-hmm. by um, being in the field, in humanitarian operations, working with people who are responding. So this idea of the expat life, of being outside of your normal community. Um, some of us are not with our extended family. Some of us, our nuclear families are located elsewhere because we're operating hardship zones. Um, So I just wondered if you wanted to say anything about the expat layer of this whole um, situation where people can't necessarily get back to their families because of travel bans, or they might be worried about their elderly parents from a distance. Uh, Uh Are you seeing that with some of the conversations you're having now?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I would... I'm seeing that with almost every conversation I'm having right now, whether professional or even personal, because as you well know, I mean, people like us that are part of an international mobile community, most of us are far away from our families. Um, And I think that, well, it's one of those things also that in a way it's, I think it's totally normal and it's healthy, not neurotic. It's healthy sadness to be sad about that. It's, it's. I mean, one of the things that's always important to do, I think when you're having an, an emotional reaction to something before you start beating yourself up about it, because we all have that tendency if we feel anything other than happiness, then we think, oh, there's something wrong with this feeling and I better make it go away. I think the starting point is always to take whatever difficult feeling it is and say, what is the benefit of this? What does this feeling that I'm having tell me about me? So, for the many, many, many people that are living very far away from their families of origin, the sadness about that is something to, and I'll use that word again, it's something to be celebrated because what does that tell us? It tells us about how much we love our families and how meaningful it is to us that no matter where we happen to live now, our family of origin is with us and is an extremely important part of our well-being and vitality so to be suffering the distance right now that's something actually to be celebrated because if we weren't suffering well that would tell us something about how we feel about our families (laughs) and and it's it's hard and it is sad and people are worried about their parents and you know i've heard some people say i'm so afraid that, you know, someone's going to die, whether it's me or them, before we can ever see each other again. And so if we're going to look at it from, you know, cognitive perspective, we could say, okay, healthy anxiety about that. It just goes to show that you really, really care about those relationships, and that you are committed to to being together again, hopefully sooner than later, and to staying healthy, and to helping your loved ones stay healthy. Getting too worried about that um, when it's not yet necessary, like let's say that your loved one is thus far totally healthy, and so are you, that's when we could start saying, okay, let's not get into the negative fortune telling. It's not yet necessary. and we could also say, and let's embrace modern technology because it's true, it's not the same as being able to sit there together. But hey, it's wonderful that we can do things like take our screen. <laughs> Our screens, which are also, I like to tell people, many people don't know this public health term, a fomite. Our screens, which are fomites, fomites are inanimate objects that transmit disease, but our fomites, they turn out to be the thing that allows us to continue to see our loved ones that are far away in spite of the distance. And of course, I'm not trying to be in denial that having a FaceTime with your mom or your grandma is the same as being there in person. But, you know, for those of us that are above a certain age, we know what it was like when you couldn't even have long distance telephone calls because it just was, you couldn't even afford it. So, you know, it's a mixed bag what's happening, that there's things that make it easier for us to be far away from our families, and then there's just the reality that sometimes distance is just what it is. It's hard, and, and we don't have to try to treat that as though it's a distortion because it's actually just
1: the truth,
2: and we're allowed to, to own it.
1: All right, Kristen. Well, it has been such a pleasure talking with you. I always feel better after I talk with you, even though today we realized some of the things I was feeling were not distortions. Um, (laughs) We will celebrate our fear and our sadness because it shows that we're human and we will get through, we will get through this. So I just want to thank you, Kristen. Kristen Duncombe is a therapist and a couples counselor, life coach and author Um, I recommend you pick up her books, they're very good reads, and uh, look at her website if you'd like to learn more. As she mentioned, we'll be sharing with you some resources in the show notes if you want to learn more about what we talked about today. And uh, yeah, let's all hang in there and get through this together.
2: Yes, get through, we will.
0: You've just heard Kristen Duncan in conversation with Melissa Pitotti and they were talking about how we can help ourselves to cope with the impact of this global pandemic. If you found this show helpful, please do share it with another person. And if you're an iTunes user, please do consider us leaving us a rating or a review. That that will help other people to find our show. Join us next week for part two of Coping with COVID with Don Bosch from the Headington Institute.